Please all join me in prayer. Almighty Father Yahweh, we're here to honor you, to understand your will, your ways. We praise you and give you thanks for the blessings of this life that we have, for an opportunity to serve you. We pray that you will guide us as we live through this world to understand that you are our number one and that we live for you in all things no matter what. We pray that you'll be with us this Sabbath, be with all those who are participating, and as we look to you and understand your word, that you would reveal so many more new things to us that will encourage us and give us the, the will to continue on in the pathway that leads to everlasting life. We pray that you'll be with those that have a special need, those that are ailing this day, that you would be their Yahweh Rapha, and those that have a special need as far as this world and coping with it, and we pray that you'll help them to understand that it is your will and your way that they remain true to you and to overcome whatever might be that is afflicting them at this time, spiritually or physically. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, now that you'll bless the service, that the hearing of your word will be inspiring to all. We ask this prayer in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. And you may be seated. Well, welcome everyone here. Uh, you made it, no matter what the weather forecast was. Uh, you know, I think there's only been one time in the 20 years of our existence that we've had to uh, forego services on the Sabbath. So Yahweh's been good to us. I want to thank uh, praises for Yahweh for stepping in and uh, giving us the wonderful praises that they, they do through their music. And want to thank you and welcome all those who are watching online on the live stream and later on, of course, in recorded messages. So the question is, why am I here? I don't mean here. I mean, why are we alive today in this life? You will do well if you can find one in 10,000 people that understand the biblical reason that they're living their lives. That may be even a stretch. It could be 50,000 who understand the teachings of the Bible and what it means to conform to Yahweh's will. For a understanding of what the average person is thinking, I chose a few excerpts some responses to a blog that was online. I want to read some of these to you. Uh, It just shows how far off people really are. Ah, yes, the most mysterious question that everyone ponders. When this happens in your life, then you begin your journey to know your truth. Everything in your life is placed there to awaken you to your truth and nobody else's. The truth reveals itself through many And not just one. It's a puzzle, just like we are many, but from one. All I can give you is to stay grounded in love and gratitude. Spoken like a true existentialist. The other one says, isn't it to be remembered long after you are gone? There have been billions and billions of lives that have been completed before us, but almost all of them are forgotten, except for a few whose names we still remember. 
That's the worst fear I have, the fear that the world will forget that I even existed. This one wrote, if you don't want a purpose, that's up to you. Having no purpose is the same as being dead. Life is too short to make just one decision. Music too large for just one station. Love is too big for just one. And G.O.D. is too big for just one religion. The answer that came closest to the truth is the following, except for the zinger at the end. This person wrote, The purpose is to know your creator. Then connect to your creator and follow his commands. Everything created on this earth had a purpose, so how about us? Who created us? He is Allah Almighty, the most gracious and most merciful. You know, out of all the comments, it was hard to find anything biblical. And I noticed in the many that I read, nobody used the Bible. Nobody quoted the Bible about what our purpose is. I wonder how many people go to church even know. Biblical ignorance has serious consequences, and nowhere is that more true than those who live without knowing why. Yahweh says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I'll reject you. That you shall be no priest to me, seeing that you have forgotten the law of your Elohim, I will also forget your children, Hosea 4.6. I wonder what the people back in Hosea's time reading this, reading his prophecy, thought about that. Wait a minute, is he writing just to the priests? What, what, what does he mean, priests? I mean, it, it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So he's addressing his people, but then he says, you, you shall be no priest to me. I wonder if they thought about that. What is, is that. Is that something that I need to be aware of, to be a priest? Well, the Bible gives us the clear answer to the purpose for life. As Yahshua taught it, he said that the goal in this life is to be a kingdom of priests in the coming kingdom. Ruled by Yahshua. Revelation 5.10. And has made us unto our Elohim kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Reign on the earth. Besides, well, because they ignore and and miss the simple truth, we, we see countless questions and uncertainties that have plagued man for thousands of years. Not knowing why he's here. Not figuring out his life, what his purpose was for. Beyond this very plain teaching of Yahshua lie all the misconceptions, all the false notions, all the false doctrines about the afterlife, all the, all the bogus man-made creeds and traditional fallacies about what life is for and what comes after. As a young teen in Sunday school class, I once quoted Revelation 2.26 to the class, And he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. The teacher just smiled and then continued on his lesson of how great Emperor Constantine was. You know, it is this goal of the believer as taught by Yahshua that is hidden in plain sight, hidden all over the Bible. And by that I don't mean hidden, but hidden to their eyes that are blinded. It's this teaching that defines Our life's purpose and why we are here and why we do what we do, why we learn what we learn in the scriptures. Because we're preparing for something greater, a goal that's much greater than this life.
Thousands of ministers spend billions of dollars, and most of them totally miss the mark on this point when it comes to understanding the destiny of the chosen and what is acceptable in worship and what is not. We were never told in the denomination we were in. We were never told. We didn't know what came. All we knew is when you die, you go to heaven. That's basically it, which didn't fit the other half of the people that uh, were not so good. You know, how did that work? We were never told. It's the greatest story never told. What does it mean to be a priestly kingdom, and how do we fit into that, into this divine plan of salvation? How does that work? The apostles and disciples were in training to take on leadership roles in Yahshua's work. We take on the same training by following what he taught them and what he taught us. The called out are the very same leadership individuals or candidates that... They were back then. How could millions overlook this calling, this overarching plan of Yahweh expanding his family here on earth? How could they miss it? The same way they cannot see the clear Sabbath command. Seventh day, they can look on their wall calendar and see what the seventh day is. It's very simple. But they, and, you know, Seminaries teach, they know what the Sabbath is. They just don't want to do it. They don't want to keep it. They want to do it man's way. So how could they, how could they miss the Sabbath? How could they miss directives about keeping his feasts, about his name, and not opt for just a title or no name at all? You know, they called him historically the nameless one because they didn't know what his name was. or They claimed they didn't know. So they just call him the nameless ones. It's a lot of scholarship. I read an interesting answer by a columnist in a commercial newspaper as to why so many embrace what they believe and hold so tightly to what they believe. Why? Why can't they let go of falsity? Why can't they accept truth? Why do they just argue and argue and argue till they're blue in the face against the truth that you're trying to teach them? Number one, it says, because whatever they learn from their parents, they held very tightly to the rest of their life, whether it's right or wrong. And the second reason is that people internalize what they believe. It becomes part of them. When you attack that belief, you're attacking them. And that's why they, they respond with such visceral sometimes. You're attacking their very identity, the very one who they represent, or who they are. Yahweh has grand plans. Grand plans for this world. Grand plans for you and me, if we prove faithful. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.9, but, but as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it even entered into the heart of man the things that Yahweh has planned has prepared for them that love him. Half of Yahshua's ministry was about his kingdom coming to the earth. It talks about the gospel. Gospel of the kingdom. Half of his ministry, it seems, was part of that. And the other half is, how do we get into it? Doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen just because you're alive and then die. It happens through the ways that he teaches us even though it's clear as crystal and plainly taught repeatedly in Scripture, how could we have missed it? 
We were no better when we didn't know anything. We missed it all those years in our former affiliations. We even recited Yahshua's model prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we didn't even think about what we just prayed. We never took the blinders off and thought, wait a minute, thy kingdom is coming to this earth and thy will be done then on this earth. We never thought about that. Kind of amazing when you think about it, how blind we were too. At least most of us, maybe some are pretty savvy. I know we, we hear from people all the time and say, well, you know what? What you teach is what I've always believed. And that's pretty, uh, Yahweh uh, certainly gave them some understanding, uncommon understanding, as opposed to most. The false traditions of worship today are the real focus of billions of people in living to please. Number one, lives are spent without direction or promise. Must be empty, not knowing why you're here and just living life, going through the motions. And there are certain times in your life they have to stop and think. What is this all about? Why am I going through all of these trials and tribulations? There's got to be a reason for this. And not respecting the only one who can grant an answer to that. So, suppose you just started a new job. How long would it last if you told the boss, um, I'm not going to abide by the rules that you set up in this uh, this firm. I'm not, I'm not going to go with that. What if you told your employer that you would decide what you were going to do in your job instead of him? What if you told your boss that you didn't have to comply, but you still expected a paycheck regular every week or every couple weeks? Sure, that's ridiculous. Sure. No, it's not going to work. The subordinate never calls the shots. Apparently, millions of professing Bible believers think they do by the way they've been taught. Many make their own rules when it comes to devotion, following fossilized traditions rather than what Yahweh demands. They decide when they will worship, which day they will worship on. They decide about obeying or not, or whether there is anything to obey or not. And they have the audacity to tell the supreme being of the universe what name they're going to call him. Or no name at all. Just a title. Putting self before Yahweh is the biggest stumbling block to truth. True worship is never about pleasing the worshiper. It's always about pleasing Yahweh. It's about pleasing the one who is worshipped. Worship with the future Promise means learning about and doing what he expects us to do. When driving the YRM vehicle, we've noticed that a lot of people take a look at that seal on the, on the door from uh, Isaiah 58, 12. Sadly, it's the only chance for truth that many will ever have. They don't understand this walk we are on because they don't read the scriptures. They don't humble themselves at the feet of the one they claim to worship. 
Billions have no clue about the covenant Yahweh gave to his people and how we're grafted into that Israelite promise. Billions of people will never understand until after the thousand years are over, and now it's their turn to learn. And they're brought up in the second resurrection. So don't be discouraged when you criticize for the truth, because this is your turn. This is your time, as the ads say. This is your time. Just remember, their day is coming too. Today, you are on the cutting edge. It's you who is up for judgment, not them, because they're not being called. It was no accident that Yahweh called you to obedience. Answer the call, as did Peter, James, and John. When they were called, they just dropped their nets, and here we go. They didn't argue, oh, except in Yahshua's parable, you know. Well, wait a minute, i got to first go home and do this and this and this, and then I'll come. No, they didn't argue. It's amazing that they just dropped their nets, whatever they were doing, and started following Yahshua. It means to keep the same precepts Yahshua did, including the Sabbath and the feast. And the evil one knows that Yahweh, Yahweh himself wants you to keep his feasts. And so he wouldn't try so hard to discourage you if they were just man-made celebrations like Xmas or the 4th of July. He wouldn't care so much. That's why he works so hard when people make a decision and commitment to keep Yahweh's feast to throw all sorts of obstacles in their way. We hear it every year. Yahweh's feasts are holy times to him. They're called his. We sin when we know Yahweh's days are true and right, but refuse to do, observe them anyway. You know, we, we earn this judgment when we know but don't do. So to the sincere, they know they've got to be obedient no matter what. They can't remain in ignorance. If man could see Yahweh in all his splendor, all his majesty, all his power, if they could just get a glimpse of him. We watched that movie last night. And it showed, I thought it was pretty dramatic when it showed Mount Sinai and the big cloud around and the, the thunder and the lightning and the shaking. And really, that is just, <laughs> and then in, in, in just this very small part of what Yahweh is. And how he, he uh, presents himself. That's just small, infinitesimal to what he is. I th- we would be fools if we knew Yahweh, if we really understood him and still lived our lives like we do oftentimes. We earn his judgment when we know and don't do. You know, it seems that ignorance about Yahweh is our biggest problem. If we could see that, we'd be dumb as rocks to continue on doing what we're doing. And not instantly humble ourselves and obey in a heartbeat. The children who obey their parents have a healthy respect for their parents and know the rules and obey them because they respect their parents and they love their parents. But people who ignorantly break Yahweh's laws don't know Yahweh and have no fear of the consequences and no fear of him either. Anyone who has ever held a job is familiar with the oldest excuse there is. Well, that's the way we've always done it. That doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it the best way. It doesn't, doesn't really mean anything. It's just the way you've always done it. But when they're presented to the truth, it's hard to follow because 
That's the way I've always worshipped. How does that make it right? For thousands of years, people bow down to non-existent idols. Does that make it right? That's the way they've always done it. Does that mean we should continue such worthless worship that's not in Scripture? Because that's the way they've always done it. Proverbs 16.25, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Yeah, it might be easier to do it my way, but ultimately, what does that result in? All that matters is what Yahweh dictates, period. He makes the final ruling. He makes the final judgment in our lives. It is he that we must respect and honor. I picked up a magazine by one of the world's largest Sabbath-keeping organizations and read a letter to the editor complaining that this group favored those who kept the Seventh-day Sabbath. I was bewildered by the letter, but I was more stunned by the editor's response. He said, We have always taught that people who honestly observe Sunday or any other day of the week as the Sabbath are fully accepted by G.O.D. To say otherwise is to create a system of righteousness by works. Wow. How about righteousness by obedience, Mr. Editor? Righteousness by submission to biblical mandate. Righteousness by a desire to call on the real name of Yahweh and comply with his expectations. How about that for once? Why are you trying to please everybody? As if everybody's going to be saved. Everybody has it right. No, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end is bad. Where in the 66 books of the Bible does righteousness come by anything other than what the Bible says it is? Why does it say that righteousness comes by doing what we decide is best? Show me the book, chapter, and verse. I like to see that one because that's what most people are living by today. The very definition of righteousness means doing what is right. Who sets the standard for what is right? Yahweh says, I do. How can we be righteous with Yahweh if we don't measure up to his expectations, to his standard, including the days he commands us to observe? And that is why from the very start, he sets the whole tone, the whole thing aright when he says in the first commandment, I am Yahweh. Have no other mighty ones before me. I am Yahweh. And from then on, we do everything according to Yahweh because that's what the first commandment commands us. He says, you must worship none other. Everything about right worship emanates from that first commandment. There's no other way. I was reading a book on textual interpretation that had the following account. The, uh, the author was discussing a controversial verse, I think it's in Matthew, and he realized uh, the man misinterpreted the text because of the archaic English of the King James and also because the verse misrepresented the Greek. So in talking to this man, he gently suggested that he should look at it this way, that the fellow was in error. The fellow's response was that the Holy Spirit doesn't lie, and so his interpretation was right. 
citing 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 15, that spiritual things must be spiritually discerned, which left little doubt as to the status of the, uh, of the author. Well, the author then asked, what, what if Yahweh had given me through the Spirit the answer, the proper interpretation? After a pause, the fellow said, well, I guess that would mean the Spirit says the Bible means different things to different people. It's, it's, it's amazing how people can reason around things. Ephesians 4, 5 says there's one master, one faith, one baptism. Romans 6, 16, know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Sin is doing what the, bo- the, the Bible, the book, prohibits. That's what it is. There's nothing more fundamental than honoring the one we worship in all things, following his mandates, following what he says, following what he wants us to do, and then get the blessings from it. Israel kind of went the other way, didn't they, most of the time. And they found out there's curses in that. But when they found out they did what he asked them to do, they found out that they rode on the high places of the earth. They defeated their enemies over and over and over and over. Follow Joshua around into Canaan. See what happens. Because he was a righteous man. He says, as for me, my family is going to serve Yahweh. You can go ahead and do what you want. But this is my time. This is my judgment. I'm going to do what Yahweh says. And he was blessed. Biblical worship has a promise, a future, and a blessing. This was no mystery to the pagans who sought to please their deity in ways they believed were acceptable to their idol. And they probably learned it from Israel in proper worship, but they took a left turn somewhere. Whether that meant sacrificing children to Moloch, burning fires to the Sunday and Mithra, or coloring eggs in honor of Astarte, the goddess of love and fertility, on a certain day at a certain time. No doubt they learned the concept of worship itself from Yahweh. But you know what I find fascinating is those who worship in idolatry seem to be more dedicated to their idolatry than many people who say they follow the Bible and don't do it. They're a lot more dedicated. They're more dedicated in false worship. That, that to me is very astounding. Paul asks in Romans 9.21, has not the potter power over the clay so my question is where does the clay get off assuming the potter's sovereignty who put the clay in charge all of this is to say that a correct understanding of the bible and what's required in yahweh's commands in his precepts and his judgments is impossible unless we know its author if we understand who he is and why we do it. We cannot understand proper worship, truthful worship, unless we know the one we worship and what he expects. The more we know about Yahweh, the more we will worship and be obedient to him, to honor him. The less we know about him, the more likely we'll be living and worshiping in ways he does not accept. And that has been the problem through the millennia. People don't understand Yahweh. They don't know him. He says, because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you, 
You shall be no priest to me. There again, there's the goal, to be a priest. You're not going to be a priest to me if you're going to be that way. Do you want to be a priest in the kingdom or not? If so, get educated. Learn about him. Learn what he wants. Because rejecting knowledge, you reject knowing, which is what knowledge means, knowing Yahweh, which is mandated and basic. Once we humble ourselves before Yahweh, our past worship, our past choices come to an end. We follow a different track, a true track now. Now we do it his way, all the way, not just part of the way, not just dabbling, not just whenever we feel like it, like the guy trying to tell the boss what he's going to do instead of what the boss tells him to do. We go all the way. Or else we can do that but have no point, no part in the kingdom. No kingdom reward. It's that simple. If we're not pleasing him by our conduct and by our worship, we're wasting our time. Our very blueprint for worship, Yahshua the Messiah, showed us how to apply Yahweh's will to our lives. I think that's the greatest thing that Yahshua came to earth for, other than to, you know, become our sacrifice for our sins, is to show us the way. Because they were getting all way, all off into different tangents, the Pharisees, Sadducees. They were, they were true to the letter of the law, but they didn't know, understand it. They didn't know why. They didn't know. They just knew that they had to do it. Yahshua gave us the why. This is why we do it. The love of Yahweh, keeping his commandments. This is why, not just how, but why. He came to do his father's will, John 4.34. That's also what we need to do. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.21, For even hereunto were you called, because Messiah also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Follow the pattern. Follow the blueprint. To be free from your past life of sin takes action. You got to do something. Don't just talk about it. Just praying the sinner's prayer isn't going to do it. Making a confession to a priest certainly isn't going to do it. Just saying I'm sorry is not enough unless you change. Even though he lived a life without sin, he took on our sins. He took the burden. Imagine all the sins of the world on his shoulders besides all the suffering he was going through those final days. That final day of his sacrifice, that Passover. Even though he lived a life without sin, he took on all of our sins. I think there's a spiritual weight there that we don't understand. That he, he was burdened way down with our sins. Which were placed upon his head, on his shoulders, and he had to deal with it. By his baptism, he showed that those sins would not stay with him. How then did biblical worship come to the point where people no longer take it seriously anymore and humble themselves before their maker? Whatever happened to the need to repent and to change? They were still talking about that when I was growing up. They still knew. They still understood. You hear much of that today? You don't even hear what sin is. You don't even know what sin is. There's a, there's a thousand definitions of sin. I can go 
from one place to another and ask, what is sin? I'll get all sorts of different responses. And the Bible gives you one response. Sin is a transgression of Yahweh's law. That's, that's what it is. But you don't hear that anymore. If you can't deal with sin, then you've got nothing. You've got fluff. You've got water running through the fingers and nothing to grab onto. Whatever happened to the need to repent and change? Well, the problem, really, is that most have been wrongly taught about Yahweh. They've been taught about Yahweh backward. Think about how you learn to read. You didn't just pick up a book, start, you know, kindergarten, start reading. First, you had to learn the letters. What do the sounds make? We, talked, we heard about that. That was fascinating last night on that, that uh, film we saw, on the Hebrew letters and how they, they learned to put words into text through the alphabet. Well, anyway, uh, when you first learned how to read, you, you saw letters, and you learned what the sound of A is, what the sound of B is. I remember we had them above the chalkboard all the way around, all the letters, and we went through them and what they, how they sound. And, and once you knew that, then you can start putting those sounds represented by letters together to make words. Then you can start reading. You studied those letters, and you put them together to make sentences. You learn mathematics the same way. You didn't take a book on calculus and start going at it. First, you had to learn the numbers. One, two, three, four. You learn basic numerals on how to count, then to add and subtract, and then more complex functions like division and multiplication and fractions and so forth. You can't grasp a discipline unless you know the fundamentals involved. But is that how people learn about Yahweh today and his word? How many are taught the basics of what he requires of his people? For the vast majority, it goes like this. This is the heavenly father. This is the heavenly father. And he has a son. And he loves you so much. He wants to save you. And he comes pleading to you. He wants to save you. You don't have to do anything, but just accept him. Have faith. That's it. You're in the driver's seat. It's all about you, not on him. To most, he's a heavenly genie. Take the cork out and get three wishes. That's all that's required. He works for them. It's called reverse worship in my book, without any of the essentials, you're introduced to your Heavenly Father without any instruction as to what He wants, who He is, what He stands for, and what He expects of His worshiper. Most just want to know what's in it for me. And so the, they're pandered, the, 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 the uh, evangelists pander to that. You can be health, wealth, and healthy and wealthy and wise if you do a certain whatever they're teaching because that, that's what you want. So that's how they draw you in. What's in it for me? What's, that's the wrong question. The right question is, what is his purpose and how do I conform to it? That's how worship of Yahweh must be approached. Yahweh first, us second, not the other way around. 
But most don't care even to find out what that plan is. All they believe is they'll be a part of it somehow. I think at the root of it all is a basic fear that if I find out more, that means I'm going to have to do more. That I have to conform more. That I have to change my life more. Make some changes, and that doesn't come easily. So just ignore the whole thing. Keep letting my minister whisper sweet nothings in my ear, and I'm happy. Millions can't name the first four books of the Bible that they claim to follow. No wonder they don't obey him. No wonder he has no influence on him. Yahweh isn't taken seriously because they are not serious about their own destiny. Keep Yahweh amorphous. Keep him just an impersonal cloud. Keep him a billion light years away somewhere, the man up there they talk about. Reduce him just to a human being-like person. Isaiah didn't didn't take him seriously most of the time either. Isaiah. Israel. I'm sorry, Israel. (laughs) Isaiah did. (laughs) Sorry, Isaiah. (laughs) I misspoke. Israel didn't take him seriously, Jeremiah 5, 2. And although it's a prophecy, it's had a prior fulfillment in the rebellion of Judah. Quote, And though they say, Yahweh liveth, surely they swear falsely. O Yahweh, are not your, your eyes open, I'm sorry, upon the truth? Thou hast stretched forth, I'll read it right. Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Therefore I said, surely these are poor, these are foolish. They know not the way of Yahweh, nor the judgment of their Elohim. Well, our desires present to the world the real Yahweh, the true one, not the one in tradition, not the one made up through thousands of years, And primary to that, fundamental to that, is that he has a name. He has a name that defines him. He has a family, and he has a plan to expand that family ostensibly to the end of the universe, if there is such a thing. Starting with us, here on planet Earth, where one day he's going to set up his kingdom, his throne, right here on Earth. We find in the prayer of Hannah, in the writings of the prophet Samuel, talk no more so exceeding proudly. Be not, let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For Yahweh is an Elohim of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. 1 Samuel 2.3. Why is he weighing actions? I thought all I needed was faith. That's what Martin Luther told me. Two facts are key to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He is an Elohim of knowledge, and by him, he's discerning our actions. Ours. Here's the prophet applying Yahweh's wisdom, his understanding, his knowledge to our lives. To find out whether we are pleasing him by our lives, we need to know how he looks at our behavior. Are we in line with what he expects? What are his desires for his creation? And what can we expect if we keep going down the road we're on? We must know his standard 
of measurement and judgment. That's fundamental. You got to know one plus one, not the higher mathematics of calculus before you understand anything about math. A reverential respect of Yahweh will lead us to greater knowledge, and he promises that. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding of all they do is commandments. People say, well, how, how do you, where do you get this understanding? Just quote Psalm 111.10. A good understanding are those that do, or at least strive to do, his commandments. This being the case, the reverse is true as well. A person will not obey and have the proper understanding. Keep in mind, the next time you are tempted to listen to someone claiming to be a minister of the word, does the man himself measure up? Does he fit the qualifications? 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. If he claims to be a prophet, does his prophecies come to pass? If they don't, you don't listen to him, the Bible says. Does he call on Yahweh's name? Second and third commandments. That's fundamental. Does he remember the Sabbath to keep it holy and the feast days to observe them? Does he live by the statutes of Scripture? If a minister does not know these things, he's blind leading the blind. He doesn't know the one he worships. So why would you place yourself under his instruction? We're in training to be a kingdom of priests, according to Revelation 1.6. A biblical priest was very knowledgeable in Yahweh. Except if you're a, you know, <laughs> Eli's sons, priests, uh, weren't. They, they, they represent a lot of false priests. And Eli... Yahweh came down real hard on him because he didn't correct his sons. And he said, there's going to be no more correction on you. I mean, he came down hard on him because what they did while serving as priests and the perversions they did and make, make light of everything and just serve for themselves. And Yahweh was furious with them. He struck them down and he told Levi, read about it sometime. We don't want to ever be in that situation. But this life is a training ground. There's a purpose for our existence. We, as a kingdom of priests, are told by Yahweh that following his will is essential to our future in the kingdom. That knowledge must come now. We can't wait. People say, well, I'll wait. I'll wait till I'm in the kingdom and he'll teach me all that. Well, it makes you think you're going to be in the kingdom if you don't follow his ways and know what he commands now. You think he's going to resurrect or bring you into the kingdom as a sin, sinning, uh, ignorant guy? No. He, he says, you, you won't be in the kingdom. Sinners will not be in his kingdom. So you got to get in line with it now and drop those sins and start being obedient. Ignorance won't make you worthy for the kingdom. Learn about him now. Don't wait thinking that, well, he'll teach me somehow. I just want to live my life now for myself. For one thing, that attitude says, I come first, not Yahweh. And that's idolatry. I come first is self-worship. Second, we were not put on this planet to live as we please, to go for all the gusto. The pagans kind of think that way. That would be lives without meaning. There's no higher purpose then. 
And because of that, the word tells us in such scriptures as 2 Corinthians 6, 2, for he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Are you working out your salvation now with fear and trembling? Is the question. Now is the time. You know, it's time we all understood Yahweh better. It says of the study, of studying there is no end. Because he has no finiteness. He goes on and on. His wisdom, his power, limitless. So our study of him will be the same way, limitless. Yahshua said in Luke 4.4 4, that we are to live by every word of Yahweh. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.16 that the word of Yahweh is more certain than personal experiences. People say, well, you know, I had this vision or I had this. Test it by the word. Maybe you did, but test it by the word because that's our, that's our, our standard. Isaiah 8, 20 says, if someone does not speak according to the law and testimony, Old Testament, New Testament, there is no light in them. Can't make it up as you go. Can't make your own way. You have to comply with the word. If you do, then he will answer your prayers, he says. If you don't, your prayers have no answer. James 5, 16, he will be your guide, your help, and your happiness. He will bless you in this life if you turn your life over to him and follow him. Follow Yahshua. And in the kingdom to come, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome into the life everlasting. But you have to make that first step. You have to answer the call first. And then come the blessings of obedience. May Yahweh bless you.